Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So today on the show, we have two very special guests. We have Annabeth and Mara, who are the founders of Fanny Pack Therapist. They're on Instagram. We connected there. Uh, we're so excited to have them on the show, especially for our first episode back. So Annabeth is an OT, Mara is an SLP, and I'll let them tell their stories. But guys, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Yeah, for having us. And so if you guys can just tell us a little bit about yourselves individually and then how you know one another and how you both connected and kind of made your platform, um, we'd love to hear about you, you guys. Whoever yeah. wants to go first. <laughs> I can jump in first. I'm Annabeth. Yeah. I, um, and I'm an occupational therapist. I've been practicing for almost 10 years now, um, all in pediatrics and most of the time specializing in assistive technology. So kind of got thrown into that setting as a new grad and just fell in love with it and have always wanted to continue to have my hand in it. Um, and recently got my ATP certification. So really just like always have, and I think always will love all things AT and AAC, awesome. which is where I found my lovely friend, Mara. I love it. Yes. So I'm Mara. I'm a speech language pathologist. I am also only in peds. Um, adults Love have it. scared me. <laughs> um, I have been practicing for a little over six years now. And I would say that my clinical interests and specialties are in AAC and feeding. Um, but I am very much a generalist at the end of the day just from the setting that I work in. So Annabeth and I met at our current workplace. Um, she, we, I guess we found each other because there was an AAC presentation and we were the two first people up there to talk and to play with all of the technology <laughs> and um, just kind of bonded over our mutual love for that. But how we, developed fanny pack was actually we found a very common treatment style in both of our treatment ways so i'll let annabeth explain a little bit about that yeah so as we started we had a lot of co-treatments together or just like we're naturally sort of treating in the same spaces we're in outpatient pediatrics and so um in the time before covid had a lot more opportunity for just like natural peer plays and had a lot of shared clients um, and so that's how we really found that we each really approached sessions in the same way and that we'd be like, do you have a plan? No. Okay. Do you have a plan? No, it's fine. It's all going to work out. <laughs> we need to have a plan. This is going to work. Um, and so what we were seeing was that like, we really thrived with that approach, but we were seeing so many other therapists we were working with um, stressing about all of the prep that they were doing, spending a whole lot of time doing it, spending a whole lot of money, 
um, having these huge physical therapy bags with all of the stuff because they were bringing it from room to room in outpatient. Um, or a cart. <laughs> Somebody yeah. I worked with had a literal cart that she went around with. I'm like, so much stuff. <laughs> yes. The the bags that we had were those, I, they were from some company, but they were so, they were probably like three feet long by like a yeah. foot deep. Like and those Ikea every, bags, you know? Yes. Those bags. yes. And every single therapist had them and including me, like I just got one for free. So I started carrying that around and I found like, I never used anything in the bag, but I carried it with me to every session. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So we, at some point we're having this conversation about like, oh my gosh, how can we make this easier? Like, I'm not going to carry around this stuff anymore because I'm not using it. How can we make this easier for other people? And so the idea of the fanny pack was kind of like, a symbol at that time of like, oh, we need this little tiny bag. You only need a small amount of materials to be able to still be able to do really great treatment. Um, and as we moved to the Instagram platform, we were like, well, it actually could be a fanny pack because you can fit a lot of really essential items into something like that. And then we also have bonded over 90s nostalgia and our love for that and 2000s. And fanny so it pack, all really really yeah. fit. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, the roundabout way of how the fanny pack therapist was born. I love it. I also love that fanny packs are coming back uh, right now. I just got one, but it was called a belt bag instead. And I was like, hello, it's a fanny pack. Yeah, I think belt bag is the new fashion term, but I also love that they're back in style because they've always been very functional in my mind, but Mm -hmm. not necessarily something that I would uh, carry. And now that they're they're back in style. I, I don't mind sporting mine at all. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, um, you guys just touched on this a little bit, um, regarding minimalism, the minimalism approach to therapy, but can you talk about why you guys think it's important to place such an emphasis on it instead of, you know, getting bogged down with lots of materials or games or manipulatives or whatever it may be? Sure. So we are, big believers that simple toys and um, simple household objects or common everyday objects facilitate the most creativeness and um, the most child-led therapy. Um, We're big proponents of child-led therapy and we just found that it always happens in the more naturalistic environments that you can create. So you can have toys around and then follow the child's lead. But what I found is I would plan all these activities with these certain toys, or I would bring in these certain games thinking that it was a great plan. And none of the kids were ever interested in anything that I had to bring in and just wanted to play with the box in the room or the door or the table or something. So that just kind of led me that this is very true to my personality, but I was like, well, I'm not going to put in the work of planning all of these toys and all of these sessions. If the child is just going to do something else and I'm going to follow their lead anyways. So I just ditched it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Mara and I definitely had like different approaches to our treatment in the beginning, because as a new grad, I was that person with the big bag, with all of the things, prepping all the things. I think it very much stemmed from like a job that I had 
in the very beginning of my career, that was not a very good fit where like that was required. Like you must plan 15 activities for each of your clients each day to, for me to know that you're prepared and are a good therapist. And, um, that just stressed me out so much, but I also sort of had that expectation then that that was what needed to happen across the field. Like if I wasn't prepping that much, then I wasn't being a good therapist or I wasn't being creative enough. Like I wasn't doing all the Pinterest things. So I wasn't, um, you know, living up to the standard that I had, um, or that I thought was out there. Um, but I really found that with a more minimalist approach, I was flexing my creativity even more so and had to, because in the moment you have to be able to adapt an activity, adapt, um, you know, really whatever you're doing in that moment to what the child wants to do, how, you know, activities that can address their goals, how you can adjust an activity that they've chosen to address all the goals that they have in a plan of care. Um, and so I think that it really, in a lot of ways, is more challenging in the moment to be minimalist um, than to do all that prep. And so it, for, for that reason, I think it's also really rewarding to do that. Yeah. And I think at least for us in SLP grad school, I feel like that kind of forced you into the habits of over-preparing and overdoing it because not only were your peers doing that, but also like your supervisors and the plant, like everybody kind of made you feel like you had to. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I felt like that in a lot of my internships and a lot of my placements that I had that I just had to do so much for everything. Um, so I think they kind of created that, but I, I'm really excited to hear some like suggestions from you guys. Cause I feel like I'm still a little bit in that mindset of, I need to over-prepare. I need to do a lot. Um, so I guess just suggestions for how to kind of change that mindset and bring some minimalist things into your therapy session and kind of how to make that shift, because especially it sounds like both of you were in a place where you felt like you had to prepare a lot first. So how did you kind of shift, um, to that mindset of being a little more minimal? I will say it's definitely something that challenges your intellect and, um, certain people thrive in, in that, um, setting or Mm -hmm. with that, with that presented challenge, because there is no way about it, but you have to know the ins and outs of that child who's coming through the door, the goals that they're working on and the rationale of why you are working on those goals. But once you have that down or the, the goals down or the rationale of the goals down, I found it a lot easier to kind of go, go with the flow, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and really at the end of the day in pediatrics, when we are playing, you have to trust your knowledge that you have from your education and your experience and your continuing continued education that you are being therapeutic in your play decisions. Mm-hmm. And once I started breaking down sessions of like, oh, I kind of just like played under the table and we made it a castle and X, Y, Z. Once I broke that down, I was like, wait a minute, I targeted all of my goals. It was all child led. So they were super happy. I was having fun in it, but Mm -hmm. all of these goals were, and all of these skills were worked on and even more goals than I even have like written in my in my plan of care. So once I kind of analyzed 
the, the breakdowns of my sessions and realized that this, this play that I thought was unstructured was very therapeutic. Mm-hmm. That's when you like trust your therapeutic knowledge and use yourself <clears throat> and your brain as, as that therapy tool. Yeah. And I think, I mean, similarly for myself, it was starting small with those clients who I knew super well, um, who I felt really comfortable with, who um, I knew would be up for that challenge and able to choose the activities. Because of course, there are many clients who we work with where if you don't give them any structure, the whole session is going to go off the rails. So you need to be able to make those decisions and have that kind of um, some kind of structure for um, for your clients and for those sessions, depending on their specific needs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that I found as well, especially when I started with some of my older clients being a little bit more minimalist, I, I wasn't preparing specific activities. I was coming in maybe even with a theme and saying like, hey, it's 4th of July week. Like, what do we want to do? And so many of the clients who I work with have executive functioning challenges, whether I'm targeting those particular goals or not. I feel like there is not one client I've ever worked with who doesn't, who couldn't benefit from um, working on executive functioning skills. And when you're challenging the client then to be initiating an activity, choosing an activity, um, sequencing, planning how to set it up, um, you know, inviting a friend to come play, creating that full activity, that, that is your session. And you're addressing so many goals when you're engaging them in the prep piece of it, rather than coming in and saying like, oh, I prepped all these things for you. Even when like, I've like created board games with kids where I'm like, we're going to make the board because that can be a whole session. And then the next time you come back, we can actually play the game. Um, and so I think that it just, when you take that approach, A, it's just so much more meaningful to them because they have actively engaged in creating something. Um, But it also just addresses so many of those goals. And I think that big, the big take home then I guess is that reflective practice, like not only reflecting on, okay, what am I going to do in this session? What is my plan for this session? But as you start to reflect after your sessions, how they went, and why they were successful or why they weren't as successful, it's easier to take those bits and pieces of the approach that was successful and to implement them in your next sessions. Yeah, definitely. So, oh, sorry, go ahead. One thing that helped me too is just pick one of your favorite toys or one of your favorite games and bring that in every session and challenge yourself to use it across ages, across ability levels and skills and everything. And once you can use kind of one particular toy that you might be comfortable with in many, many different ways, that allows you to, I I guess it gives you a little confidence boost in like, oh, I am creative. And I do know what I'm doing in terms of scaling the activities or adjusting the activities to individual needs. So if someone was really set on planning something, pick a few different toys, but that you can bring in every single session and challenge yourself to use that in every single session within, within means, obviously. Mm-hmm. 
So that kind of leads into my next question. What tips or like pieces of advice would you guys have for someone who kind of wants to make the shift to being minimal, but still obviously keeping their therapy effective? So I think generally start small. So either start with that small set of clients on your caseload who you feel most comfortable with and just try to you know, jump into those sessions for one week. Okay. For these three kids, I'm going to jump in. I'm not going to have a huge plan or I'm not going to have all of my materials set and I'm just going to see how things go. And I know what these goals are. I can, um, you know, anticipate what I could do, what my plan B and C will be if it, um, you know, if it doesn't work out the way I thought it might. Um, but I think also many times when things don't work out the way we anticipate they will, we, are surprised with the awesome results that we can have. Um, so either doing that, or as Mara said, start by um, choosing one of your favorite activities or choosing like even like three activities for the week um, that you're going to do with every single client. And you can be still prepping materials then, but you don't have to prep different materials for every single kid. You're prepping one time in the beginning of the week and then having, you know, an entire week's worth of treatment plans set. Um, so I think that's probably, probably where I would suggest people starting. Another yeah. awesome way, and this doesn't work for, it, it depends on your personality. And I am definitely a different SLP in terms of my preparedness and type A-ness in that <laughs> it's non-existent, but um, if you prefer to just jump right in and see if you swim, you can kind of plan something and then take it away and try the session with a pen and a paper or mm -hmm. try something and then be like, oh, I'm going to forget my bag in the other room. And if you have to go get the bag and resort to that plan, that's okay. But if you forget your bag on accident or well, on purposely, <laughs> and then go in the room and see what's in the room and what is naturally available, then you can try to make it work. Another way would also be setting up a time. So, okay, I'm going to plan for, I don't know if your session is 30 minutes long, I'm going to plan for 20 of those minutes and I'll know exactly what goals I target and exactly what activities I do, but then the 10 minutes that I have left, I'm just going to play and see what happens. And after that, I will reflect on what goals I actually snuck in there without realizing it. Um, and kind of once you set that time limit of like, oh, I did 10 minutes and I actually got in probably more goals than I did in the 20 minutes of my structured work, or it was a little more beneficial to the child for X, Y, Z reason, then you can start making that time a little bit bigger and bigger. It depends on the time sessions that you have, but yeah. And I think that's a really good point about it depends on your personality. Cause I know people who could handle not having that structure of their sessions, you know, and I, I think I'm kind of in the middle, like I like having structure, but I also like being flexible and like saying things in the moment and kind of feeding off of the child. Um, but I think 
like you said, Mara, especially in the SLP world, there's a lot of SLPs that are very like by the book um, and OTs too, I'm sure. But I just think it's, I think it depends on your level of comfort with yourself and comfort with your clients. Um, so I don't know. I feel like a lot of our listeners are like new grads or CFs or beginning SLPs um, or even just grad students in general. So if they wanted to try this, I guess, what advice would you give them? Because again, going back to what I said about grad school, I feel like grad school kind of preps you for being this really planned out, structured clinician. Um, and if you're really not that way and you want to be a little more flexible, how do you, how do you give advice for that? Cause I, I have grad students that sometimes I want to talk to them about, about being more flexible and I don't really know how, so <laughs> I would love to hear from you guys, like what advice you would give to them. Sure. Well, I've, I've always, I guess, operated under the, the less is more approach and that's, and Annabeth's story or journey to minimalism was very different than my own, but in SLP graduate school, my supervisors were expecting a lesson plan of five activities, the rationales for those activities and everything. So I did those because that was the work and that was my grade. However, I, kind of, um, if I didn't get to an activity, I would just bring it up to the supervisor after and being like, did you notice how we did this and targeted these goals, but we didn't do any of my plan? Was that okay? Like, how do you feel about that? And like, all my supervisors were like, oh no, like that was great therapy, X, Y, Z, or, you know, here's some tips for growth or whatever it may be. But none of them at the end of the day actually cared about what activities were on the sheets. And I think that's probably true for for most people. They really just care about, you know, the targeting, the goals, and the the progress that you're going to make towards your students or clients' goals. Um, So one one thing, if you're a student, is maybe talking with your supervisor. Um, On the flip side, if you have a flexible supervisor, I mean, have them challenge you in that way. I've, I've had um, multiple students or graduate students with me and I always try to challenge them in at least a couple opportunities by either taking away something that they had planned or telling them to do one session in the sensory gym only using the items that are already in the sensory gym. And I'm not going to let them sink or anything. I'm there right with them and kind of guiding through those decisions. But if you have a supervisor that's willing to give it a go or that um, is a little bit more lenient on terms of plans, you could ask them to help you through that if you're a student. Um, If you're a new clinician, I think if you have the opportunity of a mentorship or um, any sort of like watching your peers or colleagues. I think I got a lot of great ideas from many of my colleagues, Mm -hmm. different activities. And I'm like, oh, they were doing this really cool, you know, activity and they were only using, they were making music on the table with their hands and singing the song and they got all this language practice. Mm -hmm. Um, You can steal that idea. You don't have to reinvent the wheel yourself with items. Yeah, I love that. And I think you bring up a really good point, Claire, that 
minimalism, that approach doesn't have to be for everyone. So I think that's the first thing that I would say to a grad student or a CF or a new grad um, would be, you know, take some time to reflect and figure out if you're feeling stressed in your practice, what is making you feel stressed? Is it the amount of time you're spending prepping or is it something that's happening in the session? Um, and I think that can tell you a lot about where that comfort level is for you and where, where you thrive. Because I think I had said before, you know, I, I wanted to be really creative in my sessions and I found that I was able to do that in a non-stressful way in the moment in sessions, which has made minimalism work really well for me compared to doing all of that prep. Um, and so I think that that's really like that first step. But another piece of advice I would give to students, and I give this to my students all the time when I have them, is not to overthink it. And that's scary. It was terrifying for me as a student and as a new grad, and I would hate that advice at that time in my life. <laughs> but we call it clinical practice for a reason. We are always practicing what we're doing. And so for that reason, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be child-led. And in fact, research shows us that that leads to really great outcomes and we should be child-led. So, um, you know, for that reason, we don't, we don't want to over-prep too much and lose sight of what's meaningful for the child, what's going to be motivational for the child. Um, and when we're, when we jump into sessions in that way, whether we're challenged by a supervisor or we're challenging ourselves to do that, we're just giving ourselves an opportunity to learn from our clients, whether that means we're learning because we fail in some ways, which great, if we fail, we're learning, um, or because something goes really, really well and we're able to incorporate that again in the future. I would also say maybe even um, look into early intervention as just practice because it, it varies from whatever county that you're in or whatever um, company that is doing the birth to three. But a lot of early intervention has the parameters that you are not allowed to bring in toys that are not already in the child's home. So you have to use what is already in that child's home. And a lot of times you don't know what that child may have and you cannot count on every child having lots of books and lots of toys because that's not, that's not necessarily the reality that everybody lives with. Um, so you have to kind of be very creative in thinking like, okay, what is something standard that's this child or that every child might have in their home and how can I use that to facilitate their goals? So really just kind of looking into that framework or that operation would also help out too, because that's kind of where I guess minim our minimalism was always inspired just by the way we we work, but I know that a lot of early intervention practitioners are minimalists if they're not even putting a label on it. That's such a good point. That's something that Claire and I have talked about on, um, I'm trying to remember which episodes, like our Let's Play episode and early intervention. It's like simple things like, what can we do with a blanket, right? Because everyone has a blanket or a sheet or a towel, mm -hmm. um, simple things like that. So I thought 
to wrap up, I thought it would be fun if each of us shared um, one of our favorite activities that takes minimal prep. So one of my go-tos is just like a basic Tupperware container, um, especially for the little. So in my private practice, pretty much everyone that I work with is under three. So we're really working on that like communication temptation, trying to expand their communication. So taking whatever desired object and putting it in the Tupperware container with that lid on that they can't get off by themselves and just getting them to, you know, encouraging them to um, communicate however that may be. So that's that's my go-to. Cool. Um, I, I feel like I have a lot of, I see a lot of fluency or stuttering clients and the ages, the ages range, but a lot of mine right now are like the eight to 12 range. So they're not super motivated by anything. Like they don't want to do a ton with me. Um, so Annabeth, kind of like you were saying, like, I don't, I don't go in with anything or one of you was saying, I, I, I literally don't go into the session with anything. Um, a lot of times we're creating like a presentation about something they really like. Or I'm like, tell me about this video game that you did. Like, tell me everything that happened during it. A lot of times they'll pull it up on their phone or we'll pull it up on the screen and they'll like walk me through the directions, how to do it. Um, but I've really stopped prepping for my fluency clients because especially with stuttering, um, it's really about having that authentic conversation anyway, because all of the structure is really not super helpful, um, especially when practicing strategies. So feel like that's the most that I've been doing lately, especially with that area that I work with. Right. I would say I have, I have so many and it really depends on, on just the, the individual child, but I guess mine would be setting up some sort of obstacle with the furniture. Did I take your Annabeth? Sorry. With the furniture in the room or playing a game with the furniture in the room. So I like to play like some version of Simon Says with the furniture of the room of like, turn the chair upside down. And a lot of kids think that's really funny because it's a little bit out of the norm. You're not allowed to do that. Or, yeah, yeah, you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> or like crawl under the table, um, yeah. you know, and you target so many goals of like those following directions and the prepositions. And mm -hmm. I work with a lot of AAC users. So whatever we're working on, on in terms of that language, mm -hmm. um, it gets, it gets the job done. So, but that only <laughs> that. is with the furniture in the room and that furniture looks different depending on what room I'm in. Yeah. I would say I have so many as well, but one of my favorites that I've done recently, um, when I like decided to do a theme for the week, the theme was construction paper. So all I came into the session for every single kid was like two pieces of construction paper and just really had the first 10 minutes of the session dedicated to just child-led or young adult-led play conversation, whatever it was. And then from whatever theme or play scheme they had initiated, I encouraged some different ideas for activities that we could do with this paper. So from an OT lens, working on a lot of sequencing skills, executive functioning, fine motor skills as well, um, those sorts of things. So we incorporated a lot of handwriting and scissor skills and that sort of stuff into a lot of these um, for the fine motor components. But, you know, we had everything from like making paper snowflakes for Elsa's coronation ceremony mm -hmm. to making paper beads and paper necklaces to play dress up to making like a ripped um, 
Paw Patrol art project and had another kid create an NCAA bracket for March Madness. And so like just so many different things that you could do with that one material. I guess technically I had scissors and a pencil and glue and that sort of thing. <laughs> All things that could just fit in the back. Yeah. But yeah, just such a great way then to be able to say like, okay, this is all I need all week. I could have a folder that I'm going to every single session with and I don't need to plan anything particularly for it. And I love that because it really elicits like creativity from the kids that you otherwise wouldn't see. Like, I feel like you get so much more of who they are from these type of activities rather than just if you're leading and you're, it's whatever topic you're wanting to um, start for that. So I, I, I love that. I feel like you get to know the kids and build rapport so much more that way. Yes. And I feel like it's just so strengths-based regardless of the diagnosis of the kids that you're working with. Absolutely. Well, I think that's all we have for you guys. Those are awesome ideas. We've loved hearing from you. I feel like I've learned a lot and have a lot of ideas too. So I'm Mm -hmm. excited um, to share with our listeners. And if you guys can just let um, everyone know where to find you guys, your Instagram and whatever you want to let people know where to find you. Sure. I think the easiest way to find us and to contact us if needed is at our Instagram handle, which is at the Fanny Pack Therapist. Perfect. And you guys have so many awesome videos and reels and yes, the reels whatnot. are awesome. Yeah. You need to, uh, Claire and I do not have that. At least I don't have that capability to be that. We creative, talk about so, it sometimes yeah. and I'm like, I don't know. It makes me nervous. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so I love, I love scrolling through your page. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for being on here. We appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions, or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.